You're listening to The Investor Circle, a new podcast series designed to help founders of early stage startups raise their first funds. We'll reveal how new investors should think and make decisions through interviews and insights with successful investors from around the globe. We'll also divulge the who, what, where, why, and how of raising funding within the investor community. So, if you're ready to learn, then here's your host, entrepreneur and advisor, Stuart Noakes. All right, fantastic. Episode four of the new Investor Circle series sees us with Ollie from Resonance. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Lovely Pleasure. to have you. And all the way from sunny Bristol today, right? It's sunny Bristol, exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. The, the sun never stops shining. Now, we know each other through a couple of different raises and a couple of different formats. So it's wonderful to have you here. And I know everything's changing for you guys at Resonance at the moment. So when I ask you this question, what's the thesis of the fund? I guess you're going to have to tell the full story, right? So what's it all about? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, well, look, we, Resonance has been a, a social impact investor in the UK for a long time. We've been eight years of running funds, investing into growth stage social enterprises, uh, we are just at a really interesting point in time where we've we've finished deploying and gone into the sort of um, uh, fully deployed phase of three funds, and we are starting a new mandate, launching a new mandate from September, which encapsulates encapsulates kind of all of the we think hopefully the best bits of those experiences we've brought uh, and some new ones. So, in headline terms, we are uh, beginning our journey as a what's called a CDFI, a Community Development Finance Institution. This is a um, accreditation from from Bayes, in fact, which allows us to, um, amongst other things, allows us to allow, give investors investors access to the community investment tax relief, a little bit like an EIS tax relief or an, uh, an SITR, as it was social investment tax relief, um, but slightly different. So, firstly, the structure is a CDFI. Um, CDFIs are well known in the US, um, less so and less operate at lesser scale in the UK, but heading in the right direction. Um, the, the mandate still is to provide growth stage capital to social enterprises in regions where we're specialists. So at the moment, we're focused on the southwest of England, the West Midlands, and the northwest of England. Those are regions where we're based geographically. We have teams. We are on the ground. We will be there alongside our entrepreneurs having coffees, not phoning or traveling from London or further. Um, we, we continue to focus on um, social impact first, financial uh, sustainability and profitability alongside that. Um, we have historically had a fairly strong um, vision that a social enterprise has a certain set of sort of statutory features. So we do believe in community interest companies as a legal structure. It's a UK-based sort of legal structure for social enterprises. We still want to invest predominantly in KICs, CICs. Uh, we also invest in charities with trading uh, um, trading operations um, and we are now for the first time also investing into companies limited by shares with mission Ollie you've just gone on mute mate it's really weird all the sounds just cut out I don't know if the cables come out or
find that's it. You're back. So back. Yes. I don't know what that was. Don't worry. I'll edit that one out. Or we'll just leave it in for fun. If you're watching <laughs> this and you've just seen that, that's all good. Yeah, what we don't do is tech investing, as you can tell. <laughs> um, where was I in that rambling? So, yeah, um, we, we continue to invest in social enterprises. We continue to invest into kicks, predominantly in charities. But we are also investing into companies limited by shares where they have what we consider to be like structural features of social enterprises. You know, those are quite, we find a lot of entrepreneurs who are not used to social enterprises as a structure would say they're quite limiting. A dividend cap, for example, who's that, who's, who's that serving? Um, they're all kind of fundamentally about long-term commitment to mission and recycling, recycling capital and, and not allowing the sort of hunt for profit to outweigh the hunt for impact. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an argument with, whether they're successful, uh, whether they could the whole story or not. I just have one last quick thing. We are um, focused on three areas of what we call impact. So it's social economic inequality, health and well-being outcomes, and for the first time, a just transition to uh, net zero. So this, you know, they're all kind of social in a sense. None of them are explicitly environmental or health. They're all linked in, but they are as wide a spectrum as you can get, really, of what we consider social and environmental impacts. Um, that said, that means very clearly we're not like a green tech investor. We need to know that the reason you're involved in, let's say, green tech is because you're wanting to look at that from a inequality and social justice kind of perspective. So access to green jobs definitely would be a part of the just transition. Green jobs per se, perhaps not. Okay. So first question, equity, debt, how does this model work? Okay, yeah, good question. So historically, we've been as has been the case for most UK social impact investors, using unsecured loans to, to, to provide growth capital to social enterprises. The, the reasons for that being that largely that's all that they could take. Charities can't issue debt. Uh, sorry, can't issue equity. CICs, if their companies into a guarantee, also can't issue equity. But some CICs that there are uh, companies into their shares and obviously companies into shares can do equity. So the movement over time has been towards wanting to do more like equity. So we actually do three different products. We do unsecured loans within this fund. We do revenue share, which is essentially a, a debt structure, but the returns are not interest coupons. They are revenue shares beyond a certain point of revenue growth. And we do some pure equity for a very small amount. Now, that pure equity obviously is, in the case, is still two enterprises that are asset locked, for example, so a CIC with a company that's by shares. Um, the reasons you'd invest in equity in that company are quite different, I guess, to sort of a Series A looking to looking to exit. So it's all it's all three things. It's unsecured loans, it's revenue share as a quasi-equity product, and a small amount, we're thinking 5% of the fund is in natural equity. Okay. So uh, I've got two threads from this one, which I think is incredibly interesting for people because it's so different to the sort of VC and other routes that we normally look at. So first thing, whenever I'm talking about resonance with people, the first thing people say to me is, but social enterprise doesn't make any money. So why would I invest into that kind of thing when I can't possibly expect anything really more than my money back, right? What sort of return am I going to get? So how does that work? Does social enterprise make money? Is it worth doing this? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's, it's an important uh, and interesting question um, because it's fair to say, I think, if you were to be able to look at all of the data, uh, social enterprises do distribute less profits and perhaps make slightly lower profits potentially. But actually, I think what, what, what you see is that they, they are sustainable in a different kind of way. So they are potentially uh, some ways counter-cyclical. If you think about the demand for their uh, services 
and their products often it goes up the when times. the economy goes down, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's so there's that that element to it. Um, I think if you if you think in traditional terms of the exits, it is difficult to picture that you can make money out of these because you know what, what is an asset lock <laughs> by very nature? It's something trying to stop you being able to sell this for its constituent parts or or to sell it full stop. So um, there's a lot of protections that make a lot of the traditional ways of capturing value for investors. Uh, they're not present. And I think what we look at is the time scale over which you're willing to invest and the amount of impact you get delivered as well. So uh, I think my simple answer is, yes, it's clearly less obvious that you're going to make a lot of money out of investing into social enterprises. I think there are some structural reasons for that, but there are also some reasons of time horizons that we might look at the business models of social enterprises if we're being honest about what matters and then there's the idea that you get impact returns you know and we by when we say we're an impact investor we 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 are talking about tangible measurable uh, monitored in impact delivered through these business models so we'd like to think that whilst you may expect as an investor in these a lower return or let's say a steadier return for a different time period you're also going to receive real impact metrics around what's being achieved for that investment Okay, so it should be something you care about, basically, something that you want to see different in the world. Yes, and and also I think it's about accepting that the timescales over which uh, an IRR makes sense are going to be slightly different to the timescales over which an impact and a and a, and a sort of slower rate of sustainable profit might might make sense. Um, it's certainly difficult to fit it into a typical limited partners thinking that the returns might come after ten years, even financial. Um, when you know, we all know the IRR is heavily influenced by the cash flows up front, so it, it, it's trying to let the, the 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 weight of impact and the importance of impact within the model kind of uh, rebalance some of the financial um, preferences. Not necessarily to make money, but to when when to make the money and how much is sort of necessary. Okay. Now the the other question is um, uh, usually everybody really that I deal with knows what SEIS and EIS is when we're talking about investment, but the kind of what was the social Im- impact tax relief or what it is now the community stuff. How does that work? Is it very similar to SEIS? Yes. Yeah, so, well, so social investment tax relief um, as of April this year is no more. It was very similar to EIS and was designed to be so, which was in some ways its strength, but in other ways its weakness. Um, social investment tax. Social investment tax relief is gone, so in some sense, let's not dwell on it. It it looked a lot like EIS, but it was available to use for social enterprises and on debt, where EIS was larger equity. Community investment tax relief is a is a bit different in that it's a tax relief available to investors for investing into a CDFI, an accredited CDFI. SITR, like EIS, was for the investment into the underlying uh, investee, the organisation. You might have a manager as an advisor to the fund, but but ultimately you're directly investing into the organisation. Um, CITR, community investment tax relief, is you're entitled to that at the point you invest into the CDFI. So uh, the CDFI then goes out and does the investing, creates a portfolio, creates the returns, uh, pays them back to you. But the 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 relief is is for being an investor in the structure that is the fund. The relief is twenty five percent. The relief is paid out 5% per year for five years off of either income tax or corporate tax. So interestingly, it has the ability to be a, a tax relief used by companies okay. with, a, with, a, with an income tax bill. Interesting. So, but 5% every year for five years rather than getting that relief in the first year that you do the investment, basically, which is how yeah. the SIS works. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, Ollie, 
you're obviously very good at this stuff and you've been doing this for a few years but what's the background that you have that makes you awesome at this you know did you read classics at university or what, what you know what is it that, that you? Uh, yeah i'd love to yeah i'd love to feel like i'm awesome at this every day uh look i, I studied economics and international development at university and i uh, was very much interested in the world of development and i'd lived most of my life uh, in developing countries as, as we termed it then um I then went and worked for an investment bank because I had some student loans and I thought, this sounds exciting and capital markets are fantastically interesting. And I spent 10 years working for an investment bank uh, through the financial crisis and uh, was you know, fascinated and horrified by, by how the financial markets responded and coped and what was thrown at them afterwards to try and keep them going. Uh, and just had this kind of underlying feeling of... Uh, there's a financial economy and then there's a real economy and I can see one of them is really suffering, but the financial economy seems to have been, you know, continued uh, in some ways, not unaffected, but, you know, it, it was, that was quite an interesting experience. So that began a journey of kind of getting to know a bit about the fact that social investment and impact investment existed back in 2015. Uh, I went uh, and lived, I, I finished working in banking, I quit and worked, uh, in Sri Lanka for a year and a half on a tea plantation on a project um, to bring a sort of um, an impact tourism project to life, which was fascinating and gave me huge perspective. Uh, and then I came back and did an MBA. At, at, um, I got to know Resonance actually already. I did a small project for them and then I went and did my MBA at Oxford uh, side business school. Again, great privilege, really interesting, mostly interesting in terms of how much focus there was on the the changing um reality of what business needs to contribute and what investment needs to contribute contribute to the world and its problems and that is kind of how the school set themselves up as a business school to kind of solve for those problems rather than making great business people or you know consultants bankers etc uh and then i've returned to residence and i spent the last four years at residence working on our growing enterprise funds and our overall kind of strategic vision of how we make finance a force for good uh, and bridge between investors and social enterprise and charities which, you know, it's a, the UK is a fascinating place to do it, T typically is held out to be, or talked about often as being sort of quite ahead of the game on social investment. I, I think what's the truth is that there's a lot of uh, central efforts have gone in, policy work, big society capital's existence, the Access Foundation. There's a lot of work's gone on around uh, government putting the frameworks in place to make social investment a thing from the Social Investment Task Force, from... Uh, so Ronald Cohen, you know, there's a big movement here. I think that there are other parts of the world, regions of the world now that have really caught up uh, using perhaps more market mechanisms, more investor um, investor initiated impact drive. So, you know, I, I still think it's an almost impossible uh, task to make money inherently do things for moral reasons. <laughs> But I think, you know, that, that's, that's not necessarily take on it. Yeah. Yes, it's not necessarily what you're trying to do. You're trying to align all of the outcomes with a financial, if you need to. You know, the, the environment has been the great um, catalyst of this because I think it's been much easier for people to picture the idea uh, that climate change and environmental degradation is an externality that we have needed to bring in to the picture. Uh, and that matters on companies' balance sheets. It matters on investors' balance sheets. So, so that that journey has helped catalyze a lot more work around, but all impacts negative as well as positive should be recorded and part of business, um, part of businesses modes of operating and for investors as well. You know, the logic behind how can pension funds exist with only a fiduciary responsibility when the times after which they're going to expect their returns for most pension holders, we could have already had 
catastrophic climate change. And you sort of think, when you look at it in those terms, it's obvious that um, as the stewards of people's pensions, there's a lot more at stake than than purely the amount of money they have in that pot at retirement. But um, yeah, it's been a fascinating time to be on this journey, but it does constantly feel like there's a lot more to do uh, and, you know, and the problems get bigger, not smaller, but uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for anybody who doesn't know Resonance, are there any stats that you can throw out there just so that they can understand the size of, of what's been going on and what you've been involved with? Yeah. So, I mean, Resonance is, we we feel big uh, and as big as we've been. And we currently manage about 350 million of other people's money in the UK uh, as a UK-based social investor. So we feel as big as we've been. This is the biggest assets and management we've ever had. That is obviously pretty small in the big world of of capital markets uh we are it's important to think you know 330 million of that is made up of property funds so we have for a long time been invested in uh property we we buy properties and we manage those properties for charity and housing partners to put vulnerable people into those houses these are not levered funds these are not particularly in some ways i like to say they're not very sexy funds in a sense they're just very simple it all began with St mungo's the, the homeless charity saying to our now cio uh, we just don't have landlords that are ethical enough to keep the people we need that are vulnerable in homes for long enough. So the sort of logic was, well, could we find a way that we buy them and we lent, lease them to you? You find and know the people, the vulnerabilities and the, and the beneficiaries. We do the simple bit of owning, renovating and handing over on sensible leases with an ethical landlord behind it to you. And that's how it began. And so the, the vast majority of residences, funds under management are Property funds, we have now got a number of different areas of focus from homelessness, women in supported homes for vulnerable uh, women, people who have suffered domestic violence, and we have disability funds as well. So that will continue. We'll continue to scale the different specialisms in providing homes. But the key thing that we have always said is that it takes more than just a roof over someone's head to, to solve for a lot of these problems and to create create um, pathways out of, of being in vulnerable situations. So that's where the other work we do around investing in social enterprises, we also invest into community assets. That's uh, housing, leisure, sports, uh, and energy. Um, those two areas, so just bouncing around a bit here, but ex- growing enterprises funds, community asset funds, makes up another 25 million of the funds under management that residents has. So we are small, um, and we will, our growing enterprise over the next five years, we'll have another, a fresh set of 10 million pounds to invest over the next five years. It, it's, we feel we can do a lot with relatively small amounts of money and we continue to focus on regions rather than just the whole UK. So um, residents can invest into property through property funds at scale, social enterprises at sort of community, local, regional um, scale and community assets, again, nationally. But again, the community assets piece is a whole other story, but it's really fascinating. It's really about letting the wealth generation be owned by the communities rather than this kind of investor comes in and provides the capital of things achieved and then the money comes out again. Um, I guess the phrase democratization might be used a little bit there, right? Yeah, definitely. And and that's um, a really key part of that particular um, part of the business. Um, and I, I think that's, in some senses, thinking about that bigger picture of what are we trying to solve for, it's actually really fascinating and really important. You know, the idea that actually this isn't all about an investor return. It's actually about a wealth creation within a community and an ownership of the outcomes and an ownership of the of the impact, the change. 
No, I first came across you guys through the Academic Health Science Network, and it was all about the Health and Wellbeing Fund. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember the exact number, but I think when Will introduced the topic, he said it's something like 25 or 30 companies that you guys have invested in through that Health and Wellbeing Fund. And I looked at him with his quizzical face. I just couldn't compute because it, it was probably, the, at that time, the highest deployment of capital in the Southwest. Uh, in terms yeah. of even the Cornwall Isles City Fund hadn't done like 25, 30 investments at that point. So, uh, you know, you say it's a small amount of money, but it's doing a lot of good, right? It's getting in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. And the Health and Wellbeing Challenge Fund, I'm proud to say, is more like 50 deployments now uh, as of finishing just before just before Christmas. And, and, you know, that's with a health and wellbeing focus and only in the southwest so i think you know and that's five million in total has gone into uh, just over 50 enterprises uh, which you know, is fan- it's fantastic um, and as you say when you think about how starved of capital certainly cornwall and devon would be in the southwest probably to some extent that's a that's a huge amount and um, and we're you know the the, <clears throat> the pathway of those enterprises as well is fascinating because you know we're also i guess it's fair to say as an investor we're not particularly interested in picking winners over losers and having a kind of 10x return in one place and a you know accepting 40% to 60% go elsewhere we are actually trying to sustain those companies often through a journey towards commerciality let alone picking the best so so the vision is that actually as many as we can possibly muster of our portfolio will not ju- it's not about considering great investments great returns but they will go on to have commercially viable sustainable futures better governance better financial functions the ability to borrow and take investment in the next phases of their business you know marketing but a lot of things that you would take and consi- you'd sort of say show me that you've done that before i can invest we kind of say we'll we'll invest and go with you to get to that point and that's partly because the to some extent the the level of maturity of the social enterprise sector in the uk and you know until the growth fund came around which is where we got some of the money for the health and wellbeing challenge fund 2015 it, the, the market in a sense didn't exist so we've been building the social investment into social enterprise market for nearly a decade and and you know there's work to do but it's a journey of kind of making the market as well as kind of finding the right bits of the market to invest in fantastic well, I, thank you so much for your time today. I want to just close out today with just one question for you, which is for the first time founders watching this today, thinking about coming <coughs> money, what's your one piece of advice for them? Uh, sh- show us the passion that sits behind the impact that your business drives uh, and, I, and the authentic connection to it. Uh, and, and I think I would even, you know, obviously we talk to social enterprises and there's certain gateways to become you know, to think of yourself as social enterprise. But I actually think for all founders, you know, my understanding is that largely it's about solving a problem. And those problems are often problems experienced by, you know, people, buyers. Uh, so I, I think it's just show the passion for the connection to the impact of the business. Um, and, and in that context, everybody is either a social or an environmental entrepreneur. Fantastic. Thank you very much for being part of this series. It's wonderful to have this resonance lens next to VC lenses, next to angel investors and stuff. And I think it's incredibly powerful and more, more power to everything you guys are doing, particularly in the Southwest, which is where I tend to see what you're, what you're involved with. Thanks for being here today, Ollie. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to The Investor Circle. We hope you learned something today. If you'd like more information or want to book a call in discussion, you can reach Stuart at linktree forward slash canopy underscore in residence or on Twitter at Vision for 2020. 
Be sure to tune in next time for more valuable investor tips. And please tell a friend.